Welcome to the Author Blur Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Maynard. As always, I get to speak with great authors, and this episode's no different. I get to speak with Sarah, who goes by S.A. Jewel. She's written five books. They're very interesting. I enjoy talking to her about them, and they're, I definitely enjoy talking about the Solomon's Concubine, just because that's a topic and area of history I'm interested in. But she does have other books as well that you might be interested in reading. She is also a member of the Ambassador International group that I have been speaking with. And like I told you on the last show, there's going to be a handful of people from Ambassador who I've been speaking with, with my new relationship with them. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy listening to our conversations. We dig into a lot of the differences of her books, the children's books that she has, the more Christian books that she's written, and definitely into Solomon's Cockymine. Now, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. I'm happy to answer what you want to find out. You can go to authorblurb.com where I have a contact me. I have all the author's profiles there. I have a place where you can support the show because, well, support is helpful. And I have articles that some of these authors have written for you to read. And they write really good stories. So take the time, go to the website, read about them, find authors. You can search the profiles by fiction, nonfiction, what genre they're in, and try to find authors that are going to fit your desire. Well, at least that's my goal. So again, thank you for being here. Enjoy the show. Rate me, review me, do whatever you want, but let other people know about it one way or another. So enjoy. I'll talk to you soon. So I'm here with S.A. Jewel, also known as Sarah. Sarah, we're here to discuss you. You have five books out now and just very interesting topics. So for me to go in, as a, every author knows that comes on this show, it's always better for you to discuss yourself and your books than it is for me to do so. Can you tell everybody a bit about yourself, about your books, and then we can go into talking more about the topics? Absolutely. Well, first of all, I want to thank you so much for allowing me to be here. You know, when you bring authors that aren't that well known onto these types of platforms, it really helps them get the word out of their particular stories. And oftentimes, we are so bombarded by the bestsellers, you don't get the opportunity to hear about other people who write and who other people who write very well with interesting stories. So I am just so grateful that, that you have me on your show. I really appreciate it. Um, yes, indeed, I've written five books. And I started off initially with two teen books. Uh, one was called A Christmas Dinosaur, and the other one is called A Visit from a Shepherd Boy. These two books are actually very good books for the Christmas season because the first book, Christmas Dinosaur, is about a young man who, who doesn't understand about the first Christmas, and he gets visited by this spirit shepherd who explains to him about the first Christmas. And my goal in this was to let little kids know, let young people know who Jesus is, what Jesus is all about, and that Jesus really and truly is there as a support and a comfort. And then the second book, A Visit from a, um, 
visit from a shepherd boy is a follow-up of this shepherd boy visiting the main character, Josh, of A Christmas Dinosaur, who takes them on the journey and the adventure of following Jesus, Mary, and Joseph when they had to go to Egypt because Herod was killing all the children. But after those two books, um, I think the Lord nudged me a little bit more into um, the adult uh, mindset. So from there, I went to a book called Blink, and Blink is about end times. And I got totally immersed in that because I really asked the Lord to help me, to help me explain to people how we are so much, I believe, in the end times that we've got to really pay attention to what's going on around us. So that particular book involves four parallel stories. One is a young family. One is the, the United States government. The, the third is the Israeli government, and the fourth is the European Union. And I think that the readers will find a lot of interesting comparisons between what is going on right now and what my book is all about. And I really encourage people to read Blink because it's going to give them that impetus to think about, I better turn to the Lord really soon because you never know, in the blink of an eye, something could happen. And then the next book I wrote, is of friends and followers. And this is about a um, young woman who starts off as a, as a widow and um, meets up with a group of people, becomes friendly with them, actually marries one of the men who is a fisherman, and they discover Jesus and they start to follow Jesus. Now, in this group of friends, there are some people who think he could be the Messiah. Then there are other people who think, ah, no way. And then other people are on the fence much of like what's happening right now. But I think that we can identify with some of the emotions and some of the feelings and some of the questions in the book. And so again, I, I encourage people to read this book because it will take them on a journey of following Jesus and making some of their own decisions. And, and while we're talking about my particular book of friends and followers, I also think that, and I would like to encourage people to watch The Chosen. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that series, but it's a TV streaming series that um, episode one and two are, are free and they're um, on The Chosen app. And then there's a third season that just came out in theaters. And I believe it's also going to go onto the app. But it's about following Jesus and it's about Jesus' three years of ministry. Very interesting story. And I think that this particular production follows so closely along with my book of friends and followers. So um, it, it's kind of a, um, a way of introducing people to Jesus and finding out that he's really a very human, engaging, although God uh, person that reaches out to his believers. And then my last book is Solomon's Concubine, and that just came out in April. And Solomon's Concubine was written because, quite frankly, I was really aggravated with King Solomon. Everybody makes a big deal about King Solomon, his wealth, his wisdom, his power, his glory. I don't know how many people really call him out for having a thousand women. And that always really, it bothered me. I, I just couldn't get it. How could God who spoke with King Solomon for at least, I don't know, a couple of times. How could King Solomon go way off the track and, and, and collect so many women? Um, 
he was given such amazing wisdom as well. And so how does that wisdom correlate with his attitude towards women? So I started to investigate it. And, and I also uh, would like the readers to check out uh, First Kings 2 through 11 and Second Chronicles 1 through 13 if they want a little bit of information on King Solomon, because that's what I based the book on from a factual standpoint. And anyway, um, to make a long story short, what I discovered as I was writing about King Solomon is that the Lord was leading through my eh, disappointment with him, my criticism of him, my questions of him. And what he was ultimately showing me was, you can't judge people. You have no idea what happens at the end. We don't know. And I was asked this question a while ago. Was King Solomon saved when he died? Because of all his sins, you know, he all those women, they were pagan women. A lot of women were pagan. And they worshiped gods that actually sacrificed children. And that was another question I had. Did Solomon, he had a thousand women. He must have had more than just a couple of kids. What happened to those other children? The Bible is very silent on it. It's a horrendous thought, and the Bible never, ever mentions it, but it's been in my mind. Did he, to satisfy some of his wives and concubines, did he actually sacrifice any of his children to those gods? We don't know. We don't know. But the question in my mind, in my heart, is he strayed from God. He went and allowed himself to get caught up in worshiping other gods. And I thought, yet his, his, his story is in the Bible. His book of Ecclesiastes is in the Bible. His Proverbs are all in the Bible. What's up with all of this? But what the Lord showed me through this writing, and please read the story, folks, because I think it's a worthwhile story. I really, really do. At the end, who are we to judge? We have no idea. It's like when Jesus was on the cross with the two thieves. At the very nth hour, one thief was forgiven. So, although as aggravated as I am and was, about King Solomon and all the wonderful riches and glory and wisdom he had, I realized that, you know, maybe God was not only showing us the story of King Solomon, but also maybe there's a little kernel of us to understand that who are we to judge? We have no idea what happens at the nth hour. And, and along that too, Gary, I think this is kind of cool. You're going to be, um, I, I didn't, I just called you Gary. Sorry about that, Eric. <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> um, and the other thing is, is that I know that you're going to be interviewing um, uh, Archie and Margaret Roy for um, King Solomon's Empire. And what's so incredible about that book, which is, by the way, the last book that I recently read, it's, a, it's nonfiction. And it's nonfiction about King Solomon. Mm -hmm. And... What's so interesting about it is, is that they do talk about King Solomon's penchant for women. And they come up with a very, you know, logical and psychological description of the type of person that King Solomon might have been when it came to collecting women. So my thought is, if you read my book and then you read Archie and Margaret's book, you're going to get a great idea about who this person is, King Solomon, who was the most wealthiest of all kings 
of our time. And it's just a fascinating parallel between fiction and nonfiction. All right. So let's start off with your kids' books first. Uh, to the Christmas Dinosaur and the Shepherd. So with those, because I really want to dig into the Solomon's Concubine. So with those two, where where did you start with when you started writing those? Because most people don't relate dinosaurs as part of the first Christmas. <laughs> well, you know, you know what it really is centered on, and you're going to find this that they'll relate to. Remember the Happy Meals they used to get at McDonald's, and yeah. they would always give you like little toys and stuff. Well, this little kid Josh, and his mother and his sister, they were homeless, and um, they were put into a hotel by a church group. And he was so distressed because he wasn't going to get anything for Christmas because they were homeless and they were very, very destitute. But the 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 um, the pastor had given the mother some money to get food for the kids. So they went across the street and they went to a McDonald type place and they got little Happy Meals and in them were little toys. And that's what they got for Christmas. And one of his toys was a little tiny dinosaur and he just treasured, treasured that. So he holds on to that for peace and comfort and really the happiness of having an actual toy through the whole story. And at the end, the little dinosaur actually saves him. Not in an animated way, but in a different type of way. Okay. And so it goes through, discusses the birth of Jesus and all this. And then you said the shepherd, that one there brings the kid explaining him the trials and the the hard times that Mary and Jude, I can't even speak now, that Mary and Joe did, I cry me. Literally, I just can't speak. That, That's right. I called you the wrong name. <laughs> you know, you just have those days. But basically, that le- reads into the escape from from the Holy Land into Egypt. So because of the Pharaoh killing, or the king, I believe it was, not the Pharaoh, right, was killing the babies because of hearing that the the king of all was born in this and that. So what led you into writing that book? Um, I thought that the little character, the little shepherd boy, I thought that he was kind of a cool little character because he's, you know, he kind of popped in on the scene uh, in a Christmas dinosaur and then he disappeared. And so as Josh gets a little bit older, uh, the little shepherd boy comes back again to visit him and says, wait a minute, I got the second part of the story. And again, it was on a Christmas Eve. So the little shepherd boy starts to tell him what actually transpired because the little shepherd boy himself was was a, was an orphan and he, he met up with a couple of other shepherds that they all hung out and they were a little bit older than him. And they witnessed the first uh, Christmas, which of course was the birth of our Jesus Christ. And they were just, oh, so jazzed about it. But then as time went on a couple of years later, when Herod started to, you know, tr- try to ch- check out and find out where Jesus was. And then the angel came to Joseph and said, get out of here and go to Egypt. Well, the little shepherd boys, they felt they were part of the family. Now they wanted to follow Jesus, Mary and Joseph down to Egypt, but they had all these flocks. 
So they had to get rid of their flock before they could follow the Holy Family. Well, the Holy Family had to book. They had to get out of town. So what happened was um, they had to get out of town. So the shepherd boys were left behind. Well, finally, they were able to get rid of their, their flocks and they were able to follow. Well, when I say follow, they went to look for Jesus, Mary and Joseph, because they really weren't sure where they went. They knew what the route could have been. And anyway, as, a long, as they went down that, that road, that, that, that um, traveled area of the caravans, then they ran into a lot of adventures. All right. And then that leads us into your next book, Blink, which you said something just clicked on you and ended up having you go straight from being writing for kids to writing for adults, which... I can see how that mindset happens, but what was it in you that made you sit there and say, okay, there's all this going on. There's the conflicts I need to address. What made you decide to write Blink? Well, I felt as though that um, the political landscape was getting pretty horrific. And there are a lot of internal problems in our country. And um, I love Revelation. I know it's a little bit complicated. It's, it's still complicated. And I've studied Revelation. And I think it's, again, a book that, that your, your listeners should really read and pay attention to, although it is a little bit complex. But I would suggest going along with the study guide. But in any case, I just felt as though, gee whiz, there's so many things that are happening in this world. You know, we've got to wake up. We've got to pay attention. There's just... It's really in our faces. So the Lord again nudged me and said, hmm, I've got an idea. I think, you know, maybe you should explore this. You, you really are very enthralled with the book of Revelation and you're trying to learn it. You got a long way to go. But how about if we make it more on a realistic level where people can actually relate to what's going on now, to what I've been talking about all along and see if they can start to pick up the signs that they need to pay attention. So that's how I began it. All right. And where does Blink actually start off in? What kind of, when somebody starts opening the book, where do they start off in the book with Blink? Well, it starts at you and I, your brother and your, your brother's wife, your friends, whoever it may be, uh, just of a young man enjoying a um, um a number of drinks with his friends because they had such a wonderful marketing campaign and um the first thing on their mind was was anything catastrophic happening and so you're you're brought into just a a, a group of guys sitting around having a great time and then we go about our lives and then suddenly in the blink of an eye everything changes the rapture happens when Sorry. the rapture happens some people are going to be left behind. And for those people who are left behind, they don't know what happened. They might have heard about the rapture through other people. They're, they're, not, not, they're not believers, so they were left behind. Then you have the politicians who give a certain explanation. And then once that explanation is, is basically accepted and people start to live their lives again, other things start to happen that correlate with what's going on in the book of revelation so all of these terrible things are happening and are ramping up so not only are we discussing the life of a of a guy with his 
with his wife and his daughter. But now we've got the federal government getting involved in it. Now, not only do you have the federal government getting involved in it, but you've got the European Union getting involved in it because it's happened all across the world. And not only that, but you've got a very, very uh, vulnerable country, little tiny weeny Israel involved in it. So paralleling these four stories as they work their way through the rapture, which is the seven years, Mm -hmm. all these certain things happen. And of course, at the end, they segue to the end of what the book of Revelation is. Understand. So basically, Blink is starting off with the beginning of the rapture and how the world deals with and copes and handles it after it occurs. Exactly. All right. Interesting. And then friends and followers, what got you to write that? Well, I, 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 again, I was kind of correlating it to what's going on in our lives right now. There are so many people who don't really understand Jesus, don't really know what he's all about. They've heard the pontifications of certain people and it doesn't doesn't resonate with them. They hear platitudes. It doesn't resonate with them. Um, they 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 feel as though yeah I've heard of Jesus but it's maybe he's a myth I, I can't relate to him I don't know what's going on and so I just go about my life because it's something that I'm really not even interested in so I thought by writing friends and followers I could bring it down to people you know like us mm-hmm. somebody who might have lost their husband somebody who might be poor someone who might be sick someone who might have a particular profession of, you know, having to really go to work every day in order to feed their family. So by bringing these people all in together of different backgrounds and then coming across a person who's doing all of these miracles and who's preaching things that they've never heard before, certainly not in the synagogue. You know, in the synagogue, it was all unreachable to them. They they were... They were given so many rules and regulations, but there was no love, there was no connection, there was no tenderness. And that he was a guy who was coming on the scene saying so many different things. And people were confused. And then people were enthralled. And then when he started doing miracles, that changed the whole ball game. So my thought was, okay, let's bring in some regular people who maybe are a little bit more destitute than the average person right now in the United States might be. But that makes their challenges even more more concerning. So they come across this person who might or might not be the Messiah, who might or might not be the person who's going to get them out of this whole negative situation. And they've got questions and their friends have questions. So we follow them along. And then they also can get persecuted as well. So we follow them along right up until the until the um the crucifixion and then when paul starts to really persecute people all right so and then we go on to your latest book which is solomon's cockamine and you said that you really got into that because you were just disturbed with the fact of solomon had a thousand or more wives so like I said, I have a thousand questions on that because I've actually <laughs> read quite a bit about Solomon. Oh, good. I'm not an expert by any means, but I've always enjoyed the stories of Solomon, 
it always fascinated me the the demons he controlled and he ended up smiting and doing all these different things there's a whole lot that i found interesting about the story the fact of i believe it was the queen of sheba was supposed to be his true love so i mean and so like with that being said okay so you read all about this let's start off with how does your book the concubine of solomon start off well she's a young girl and she's absolutely beautiful uh she's a little bit darker than most of the other women of the area and solomon is always sending somebody out to look for beautiful women for him now not only does solomon make um uh, alliances with king's daughters and other rulers daughters to to build a stronger fortification so to speak um and not only does he marry women who have wealth and status as well as concubines but he is also looking for beautiful women Mm -hmm. so he had this young man go out looking for unusually beautiful women and he comes across nalusa he takes her. She doesn't want any part of it. She doesn't want to leave her family, but her family are just herders. They 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 are typical of the era. They can't say no. She can't say no. So she has to go along with being taken to Solomon's harem. So all right, now you said you did a lot of research. So how close is your book to historical versus fiction? Um, factually, in terms of numbers, I followed along um, uh, First Kings and Second Chronicles, and I mm-hmm. and I took those numbers and I took the sequence of events as well from those two books. As far as the story of the concubine herself, I just imagined what it would be like to be in an environment that you really didn't want to be in knowing that you were actually locked into it. There was no way you could escape. There was no way you could leave. There was no way you could say you didn't want to do it because her family would have been ostracized Mm -hmm. and the money that was given to them for her, they'd have to give back. And they would be worse off than what they were if she actually went back. So she realized she had to stay. It didn't mean she liked it. But she had to stay. Understand. And does she, what kind of challenges does she find in your story? Well, she understands that she's really a body and a face. And she comes to understand that fairly soon. But of course, in those days, so many women were property. They understood that they were to be given to a man, uh, usually not it wasn't usual that they were in love. It was all part of a a family obligation and that they were actually purchased. So the mindset was there. It wasn't like, oh, this is a big surprise. And also the fact that everybody knew Solomon had so many women and it was kind of a given and it was an accepted thing. So she realized going in there, a lot of it was was um, basically sexual. But she was also a very bright woman. So as she got into this, she realized that she still had a mind and she didn't have to lose her mind or her personality. 
So does she interact with Solomon very much in the story, or is it an interaction of the other women and other people throughout the kingdom? She um, realizes that um, she has become his favorite concubine. And she has become his favorite concubine because she's so bright and she's so intelligent. And she challenges him on his beliefs. And that is one of the um, beauties of the story is, is that I want to bring out beautiful women can have brains. Beautiful women can, can be very uh, strong and have courage. And so she realizes, yeah, I'm beautiful and I know that you desire me. But just because you're a king doesn't mean that I'm going to be blown away because you're a king. So he enjoyed that banter back and forth. And um, he became she became his favorite. All right. Now, so let me ask this, because you said that when you first started the story, it really bothered you the fact of King Solomon had so many concubines, so many women. But you also just said that you realized that at that time, women were considered property. It was a different era, much different than what it is now. So the way of thinking was completely not in line with what we think now. Exactly. So my thought is, is the greatness of Solomon compared to the times now he would have been looked very much down on for that kind of behavior in at least in America and in the Western countries. There are still some countries where that is a practice, but, yeah. but the fact is, is our viewpoints of that is that it's a negative thing. Trust me, I can only handle my wife, and I wouldn't imagine any more. So oh, I, I, I can't see how someone had so many women. But, again, different times. What, what did you learn as you researched, as you wrote, as you did all this? What did you learn about the difference of your current perspective and the time that you're writing about? Well, one of the things I've learned is that you're absolutely right. I mean, nowadays that sort of behavior is looked down upon, although in Saudi Arabia and some other places they have more than one wife. Um, I, I think what it brings to light is that a person who has a lot of power, a person who has a lot of money, attracts, attracts a lot of women. I mean, it, it's mm -hmm. the truth. And that person who attracts a lot of women can kind of pick and choose what type of woman he wants. Right. Um, so what we're seeing is, yes, is there is this, 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 they might not be actually marrying more than one woman, but they certainly can have a number of women. They can certainly be having affairs. And some of those women might go along with the program. And then some of those women in our era, they, if they don't want to go along with the program, of course, they can divorce or they can walk away from the situation. So with that being learned and with everything you've discovered with it, how much of that did you actually put into the book, realizing there's a difference in the judgments that you started off with or the preconceived thoughts that you had as they shifted in the research and the writing? Because anytime you deal with history, there's a whole lot of differences between then and now that you tend to realize. I know even in the researches of the books I've never written because I have a long list of books I've started but never finished. 
And I know that my research changed my opinion on different things that I thought I was 100% on. Did you add that into your stories as your progression, as your beliefs might have changed or your different thoughts might have changed? Does that show in the story? Oh, Eric, I'm so glad that you asked that question because you had brought up earlier about the Queen of Sheba. Yes. Okay. Now, in parallel to what you said, I said the same thing, that Solomon's real dear love was the Queen of Sheba. Yes. And when Nalusa, the favored concubine, comes up against the Queen of Sheba, and Nalusa has this discussion with the Queen of Sheba, saying essentially the things that I had been thinking of earlier, which was, I'm very distressed over the fact that King Solomon has all these women, and she was feeling the same way. Um, she, um, she had this discussion with, with the Queen of Sheba, and the Queen of Sheba said, whoa, wait a minute. Who are you to judge? You don't know. You don't know. You have no idea. You're saying that God Almighty has been dissed, so to speak, by King Solomon. And for certain, there were things that King Solomon did with all of those women that, that, that would totally and absolutely against the Lord. No question about it. But what she brought up, what the Queen of Sheba brought up, was the fact that you don't know what happened on his deathbed. You don't know what conversation he might have had with the Lord. You don't have that idea. So before you start condemning him and judging him, back off because you don't really know what the end result was with the, between the king and God Almighty. So that was my pivotal, pivotal moment that I think the Lord was showing me through the Queen of Sheba's dialogue because Queen of Sheba and Solomon in, in my storyline did in fact love each other, even though she went off to, to um, Sheba and he stayed in uh, Jerusalem. So uh, that, that, that was how I kind of came to the, the thought process of the Lord actually put it in my head saying, yeah, a lot of stuff went down. A lot of sinful things happened, like happens in your life, my mm -hmm. life, everybody's life. But we do have that measure that we can go for forgiveness. All right. And that sounds fantastic. I mean, it sounds like an interesting story. Like I said, I really wanted to dive into the, concub the Solomon's concubine because that just is a topic that I do enjoy. Solomon's always been interesting to me. So with that being said, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you have a long day of other things to do as well. So where do you prefer people to go find you? They have the web address that you've given me on your profile and on the show notes. There's a couple other links you've given that are on the show notes and in your profile as well, where they can go to authorblurb.com to find your profile. But where is the best place if somebody wants to reach out to you, to talk to you, to ask you questions, or to find any of your books, where do you like them to go? Well, um, if they actually want to purchase the books, they can go to Amazon. That's, that's, you know, that's one of the best places. Uh, they can also go to Ambassador International, which is my publisher. Um, and if they want to reach out to me, which I'd be delighted if they've got any ideas or thoughts, um, they can reach out to me on my email, which is team of God, that's all one word, at earthlink.net. All right. 
And oh, oh and one a... other thing. Yeah. I, I would like to. <laughs> sorry about that. You're fine. Um, I would. <laughs> I would also like to um, encourage people to check out my website www.teamofgod.org. All right. I'm sorry for all these interruptions. <laughs> You're fine. It, part of life, things happen. Do you? And I do have one final question before we end the conversation for anybody else. Do you have any more books planned on coming out? Well, not at the moment. Um, I've been talking to God about it, and um, I'm asking him what he would like me to do next. And so far, I haven't heard anything. <laughs> well, there's t- takes time for some stories and some inspiration to boil. So just let it get there, and I'm sure it'll come through. So I do appreciate you being here. I've enjoyed the conversation very much. This is going to be the end of the conversation for everybody else. But if you can hold on, we'll talk a little bit more. Okay, and thank you once again. I appreciate it, and I appreciate your listening audience. (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad you made it this far to the end of the show. I hope you've enjoyed it, because that's what it's all about. I'd also like to suggest that you take the time and go find the other authors that are here. Find that author that you're going to love and you're going to want to share. It's all about the authors, and that's why I'm here. Now, if you enjoy the show, I'd like to ask you to do me a favor. If you think it's worth it, go to the website, authorblurb.com. You can donate money, donate crypto, buy me a cup of coffee, things like that that helps me support keeping the show going. Right now, I don't do anything to try to delay, add, distract you. Everything's out of my pocket, and everything is meant to make authors be able to grow their audience and grow your attention. So, as always, thank you for being here. I hope you come back for the next show. And, again, take the time, explore authorblurb.com. There's a lot there that you will be very happy to take the time to enjoy. And, as final note, rate, review, Shoot me an email through authorblurb.com. That way you can at least let me know what you think. I'm happy to always see reviews and hear what you think. Thank you. Have a good day.